my god so when when he was making you strip it was essentially on a web it was for another live person yes yes Welcome back to Other People's Lives. I'm Joe Sanagato. I'm Greg Dybeck. For anyone out there that wants to be a guest on our show, don't hesitate to reach out to us. Our email is oplpodcast at gmail.com. Just reach out and we'll uh, schedule something for you. Yeah, and last season we were saying how we want to hit 100K subscribers on YouTube. Uh, you guys helped us blow past that. We're at like 105 now, I think, or more. Um, so thank you for that. If you are listening to this on audio, we do have a YouTube channel um, where you could actually see us record the episodes. And if you're just watching on YouTube, uh, we also have an audio channel on all podcast platforms. And we have a ton of episodes that don't exist on the YouTube channel. So you can go check that out if you want to binge some older episodes. Today, we are speaking to a woman who put her own father in prison, and we're going to hear her story, learn about her father, what he did, and why her, her sisters, and mother worked tirelessly to put him behind bars. So before all that, we've got the guests on the line, and thank you so much for being on the show today. Yes, thank you guys so much for having me. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, of course. And, you know, thank you, you know, for stories like this. Uh, we know how difficult it can be to relive some of these moments and, and share this, especially with us, with all the strangers listening. So we really, really appreciate that. Yeah, I'm just ready to get it out there. Um, I know a lot of people have gone through something like this. So I just hope that, you know, this can help at least one person come forward and get out what they need to get out. No, absolutely. And um, it, from our experience, it, it always does. So I guess to start this off then, um, we, we left that intro a little vague. So can you just kind of fill us in um, just a little bit of um, your family life growing up, um, who your father was as a person and, you know, ultimately um, what he started doing to your family? Yeah, so um, I grew up with my mother and my father. Um, they were together until I was about 10, but my mom did work a lot when I was a child. Um, and she was also taking care of my grandfather, who was always in and out of the hospital, about 45 minutes away from where we lived. So I was left alone with him quite a bit. Um, he was pretty mean. He would kind of scream at us. Um, he really liked to like impose his size over us he was a bigger dude so he would scream at us in our face like inches away from our face he would just kind of take out all of his anger on us and then um you know the actual sexual abuse didn't start until I was about eight years old wow and I mean when you do you want to Sorry, this is like a weird question, I guess. Like, do you remember like exactly what was the first time that you kind of felt like off about the interaction between you and him? Yeah. So one thing that um, pedophiles do a lot is grooming. And um, I have looked back, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, and I do see a lot of grooming tactics he used before the actual first like abusive situation happened. Um, he, for the very first time, he would like love to get us out of the bath. He always wanted to get us out of the bath, but when he would get us out, he would try to like stick his hands in different places. Um, and you know, I would always push him away. I was like probably seven at this time. He would just really push boundaries, like physical boundaries all the time. 
um, you know, just like touching me or hugging me when I didn't want to be touched or hugged or asking me to sit on his lap. It really started with stuff like that. Um, the first actual situation didn't come until I was about eight years old. Um, and I can, I can tell you guys about that one if you'd like. I just don't know exactly how much detail you, you want me to go into with that. Yeah, you can say whatever you want on, on the show, whatever you're comfortable with. <laughs> yeah, so like I said with the bath thing, you know, he always wanted to take us out of the bath, which at first I never thought was weird until he started trying to slip his hands under the towel, stuff like that. Um, one day my mom was at work and I was home alone with him and my little brother, who is about four years younger than me. Um, he had told my little brother, go outside, play with your friends for a little bit. Just don't come back in. I thought that was kind of weird. And then he told me, hey, you know what? Go take a bath. Let me know when you're ready to get out. And I was like, okay, you know, sure, whatever. So I get in the bath. Um, I'm ready to get out. He picks me up and he tries to put his hand under my towel again. I tell him no. I'd like jump down kind of off of him with my towel wrapped around me. And then he started chasing me through the house. Like literally I was running away from him, terrified. He got me in my room. He slammed the door. Um, he ripped my towel off of me and he just started like saying really disgusting things about looking at my body and how it made him feel. And I told him I was really scared and I just wanted it to stop. Um, and then he got up, he left my room, I got dressed and I hid in my room for about 30, 40 minutes, I would say. Um, when I came out, he basically was crying and he was like, please don't tell anybody. If you say anything, I'm going to go to jail. I'm so sorry I did that. It won't happen again. Like he just cried and cried and tried to make me feel bad. That's why I didn't say anything about that situation for, for so long. <laughs> Jeez. And you were you were eight years old? I was seven. This was about seven to eight years old. This was the very first situation. That situation was when I was eight. The grooming started from when I can remember about seven. So after that incident, um, you know, you're so young at that time. And I assume you don't tell anyone in your family about it? No, I did not tell anyone. Um, you know, like I said, I was home alone with him a lot. So the grooming had my mind in such a place where I was like, ooh, that was weird. You know, I didn't like how that made me feel, but he's my dad. Like, he would not do anything that's wrong. So maybe he is sorry. Maybe it was just a weird moment. You know, I just kind of took his word for it and hoped that nothing like that would happen again. Mm -hmm. And then how did it escalate after that incident? Uh, after that incident? And do you know how much time passed between? So... When it comes to, like, time passage, I do have a hard time remembering exactly just because, you know, my little brain has blocked out a lot of the little details. Um, but I do know it was probably within six months to a year when the second situation happened. Um, and, you know, it didn't take very long for him to do little weird grooming things in between after that original situation he would you know I would be asleep and he would just roll into bed and like kind of roll over me and like laugh and then get up or like just weird things where he was just pushing those boundaries to try to see you know is she gonna say anything or am I able to do this again Jesus so I mean you were starting to notice now that like, okay, I know what he's doing. Like even at a young age, you kind of like started to understand like that he was grooming you. Yeah. I had a feeling something was very off. Um, I always got really bad anxiety and very nervous around him. 
Um, I would try to avoid him at all costs. He was like completely addicted to playing video games um, on his computer and he was a raging alcoholic. So he was distracted a lot of the time. Um, and when he wasn't, that's when I would try to hide, do something else to try to kind of avoid him. But, you know, with the boundary pushing, you know, they like to make sure that they're still kind of up in your face, even when they shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, what, what did this relationship with him kind of eventually turn into throughout the years? Um, I know there's some examples in your email where you mentioned being forced to watch porn with him and it, it seems like he became just uh, super aggressive in a way or just you know push the boundaries even further yeah I think once he realized that I was too scared to say anything to anyone um he just kind of was like oh well you know if nobody's mm -hmm. home then it's kind of free reign for him to do whatever he wanted to and you know with that situation with the watching porn and stuff um I was asleep one night. He had come in there and woke me up. He said, hey, come out here. I want to show you something. And I was, like, kind of scared because, you know, the situations in the past and just everything that he had been doing with the boundary pushing, like I said. Um, so I came out there. He was on a pretty popular video chatting website where you chat with strangers. I won't say the name, but I'm sure you guys can figure it out. Um, he had told me, hey, you know, will you you know strip for this camera and I was like no I'm scared like I don't know what that means I don't really want to do that and then you know he had forced me to take my clothes off he was like hey you really need to do this and he started screaming at me so I did it um in front of the camera and then I started crying and whoever he was talking to hung up and I just went hey I'm I'm scared I'm gonna go to my room and I avoided him for a while after that um the porn thing came probably a couple days later same thing he woke me up he said I'm sorry about the other day let me make it up to you I want to show you something different and I was like I'm I don't know what to say you know I'm a child so I go out there and he pulls up a file has a bunch of different folders in it with different names um unfortunately all of the files in those folders were children other children so oh my god so when when he was making you strip it was essentially on a web it was for another live person yes yes <clears throat> wow what the fuck? Yeah. um so i mean these things are happening and you said those two situations kind of happened like a couple of days within each other like yeah. how and you're still what like around eight nine years old yes this, this is about eight nine years old at the time yeah and um how how long did this sort of behavior continue? Um, I would say it stopped when I was about maybe 10 to 12. I started getting a little bit older. Um, I feel like he got kind of spooked when my, him and my mom got divorced um, due to his abuse, not for me. She had no idea about my abuse, but just how abusive he was with her. Um, I feel like that kind of spooked him. My mom did meet someone else, my stepdad, who is my current stepdad and has raised me basically my entire life. And I feel like that scared him to know that there was like another authority figure in my life that I could possibly tell. And that's mm -hmm. kind of when he stopped. Mm. You did mention when you reached out though, that he was a serial child molester. Uh, so 
when did you come to find out that you were not the only victim of his? Um, okay. So yeah, I, uh, it's actually kind of crazy. So on, I think it was June 2nd of like 2020, um, he had posted something on Facebook because for years, me and his other victims, we were all scared. We all had no idea about each other. So we still kept in like the slightest amount of contact with him. I didn't want anybody to suspect anything, you know, like, why is she not talking to him? Why don't they have a relationship? So I had him like on Facebook, wouldn't really talk to him, you know. Um, so that day on June he had posted something about how all pedophiles deserve to go to prison, which is crazy to me. Um, my sister had commented on it and said, wow, that's kind of funny. And he deleted it. And I, but I saw it. So I got in contact with her. She told me, Hey, you know, I have some really bad news and I don't know how this is going to affect our relationship, but I just want to let you know when I was a child between nine and about 12, our father, you know, molested me and he did some really bad things to me. And that moment I was like, oh my God, I'm not the only one. It was surreal to me because he had convinced me for so long that I was the only one, there was something wrong with me, that he was sick and he couldn't help it. So that's kind of when everything came to a head. And then from there, we found out about multiple other victims. How many other ones so there was two before me um both of my sisters my um one sister is about four years older than me my other sister is about seven or eight years older um they were pretty much had it the worst my oldest oldest sister was um completely raped and violated by him when she was nine um he had cornered her and she was home by herself same kind of thing um but this time he actually did rape her um and she tried to tell but nobody believed her and that's kind of when everything started it was not my mother who was around at the time my older sisters do have a different mother um so at the time unfortunately her mother did not believe her wow do you remember what you felt the moment that you realize you were not the only one? It's such a weird, it's such a hard thing to describe because you feel this sense of relief, like, wow, there, maybe there is something wrong with me. Maybe the predator in this situation is the problem. Um, but it's also kind of a sad, like guttural feeling to know, oh my God, like what I went through was horrible. What they went through was horrible. And it's all by the same person. And he was still out there at the time, still living his life. He had just remarried to a woman who had a 12-year-old daughter also at the time. Um, and after me, we know for sure that there was a friend of mine that I was friends with in elementary school. She would go over there quite a bit. Her parents were friends with him, and I guess they trusted him. Don't really know why. Um, and then about two months ago, we found out about his very first victim, who was a child at the time when he was also a child. Oh, wow. Yeah. So there's still things that are developing and you're like hearing about more victims as time yeah. goes on. Yes. And the most surprising one was the most recent one because this was his only male victim. Um, and this man is in his 40s now and he had no idea that 
my father had done this to anyone else but him until he had come across um, my sister's podcast and my mom's Facebook. And then he was like, oh, my God, this is the man. Like, this is the person who literally ruined my life at, again, like eight, nine years old. Wow. And and I do want to get into a little bit later your sister's podcast. But I guess before that, um, what what was it sort of an immediate reaction or feeling when you found out about your sisters and other victims where you thought there should be consequences for this man's actions? And we, by joining forces, essentially, by telling our stories, could ensure that there are consequences. Definitely. As soon as I found out about both of my sisters, I had a feeling about a couple of other people in my life from my childhood. When I reached out to them, they had said, yes, something also happened to me. From there, it was kind of like, wow, this this has to happen. Like he needs to go down, you know, as hard and as painful as it is going to be for all of us to relive that truth. We have to protect people from him because he, like I said, remarried. 12-year-old girl in his care. Not only that, but he was a little league football coach for 10 years. Jeez. And, like, nobody had any idea. So I really felt like we have to put him away because there could be kids out there who this happened to that are still afraid to come out, and they think he's out there still and can't hurt them, and he he shouldn't be able to do that. Um, so... Ultimately, like, how were you guys, like, able to, um, you know, kind of expose him? So we were very lucky. He is an idiot, and he admitted over text and over recorded line um, that he did do those things, and he specifically said my name and said that I was the last one that it had happened to. So... That right there was him admitting it. We went and contacted a detective from the town that this happened in. Um, And I live in a completely different state now. My sisters live in a different state than I live in and that the abuse happened in. So it was kind of a confusing situation at first. We're like, where do we go for this? Um, You know, how does this even work? Um, We got very, very lucky with the detective that was put on our case. He worked tirelessly for so long to make sure that we got him and we got everything we needed to make sure he was put away a hundred percent. So how did that happen exactly? Because I, I think this could be very useful um, just because, you know, unfortunately you hear stories like this where the part of the story that should be justice is served or that it happens, you know, swiftly, quickly. Uh, it's just not always the case and there's always obstacles. So can you just go into a little more detail? Like how, Was it the detective? Was it you guys specifically? How did you um, go about getting him to actually admit these things through text and on a recorded line? So I feel like personally, my sister kind of had the forethought in all of this to be like, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it right. Um, She told him, I don't want to talk on the phone, just text. That's it. And over text, he had, you know, basically incriminated himself. He had admitted that he did all these terrible things, blah, blah, blah. So we had that evidence to kind of help us out. Um, You know, and my mom, through finding this out, she was just absolutely heartbroken. You know, she is unfortunately also a victim of childhood and, you know, college age sexual abuse so this she was like absolutely gut-wrenched she made sure that she called them in that county every single day 
to push this and push this and push this. And unfortunately for my sisters, the statute of limitations had already expired on their crimes, which I think Mm. is insane. Um, So they were not able to get any charges for what had happened to them. So it was kind of all on my shoulders. Um, The ones that happened after me were a little too afraid and a little too young still to go testify and go to trial and all of this. So it was really just staying solid and pushing the police department in the area to really take us seriously. Um, And, you know, some states do have victims advocates where you can ask for a victim's advocate and they will kind of do a lot of the mediating between the lawyers and you and the prosecutors and everything. So you don't have to deal with as much of the hearing about them or seeing their face, that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, which I think is so helpful. Our victim's advocate was amazing. And I definitely like, I, it's just crazy to me that there's so little resource out there for this kind of crime and that you can get away with it because it's expired. I just don't understand that. Yeah. That feels a little ridiculous, honestly. And (laughs) for, for this, uh, you know, trial, I'm assuming, you know, you, testified and yes you know how did how did the trial end so at the time um there's like a pre-trial and then trial and then like sentencing basically um I was six months pregnant when I had to testify um it was really really hard basically was was he present while you were testifying yes so it was a video it was a video testify because I was a high-risk pregnancy Um, I actually had a miscarriage when this first came out because of the stress. I was pregnant and I had a miscarriage. I ended up getting pregnant again a couple months later and I was pregnant during the trial. So it was not feasible for me to fly to the other states. So they did allow us to do like a video trial, um, but we did have to kind of show our faces so they could verify it was us. He was present in the courtroom. Um, We could see him the entire time. We have to like point him out, say who he is. And, you know, then they just ask us a bunch of questions about the charges and what happened. That sounds very intense. And it was <laughs> it, it just, yeah, the drama of, of that situation and or just how dramatic it is. And yes. was, were you always fully comfortable with it? Did you have any reservations? Like, I just imagine it's, it's probably hard to put into words, but you know, knowing that you're testifying against a very evil, terrible person, but that person also happens to be your biological father. So, you know, can you remember some of those, I guess, feelings from that trial of, of having to do that, having to face him, knowing, you know, you're, you kind of have the ammunition to put him into prison hopefully for the rest of his life. Um, yeah, you know, I, I dealt with a lot of guilt at first. Like I'm ruining his life. I'm putting him in prison forever. Like this is my father. How can I do this? But then you see how it's just kind of snowball affected all of these people around you and how there's other victims and they did not get their justice because of the statute of limitations. So I really just felt this pressure to do my best and fight through those feelings of like fear and anxiety to try to just put my best foot forward and really explain myself and how 
you know, this has affected me and what has happened. And it was really hard to see his face while I was doing that. I won't lie. You know, he is a master manipulator and I feared him for so long that just seeing his face is a trigger. And, um, it was, it wasn't easy. I honestly, I tried to cover his face up on the screen most of the time while I was talking. Cause it's really difficult to look him in the eye. And when the sentencing came down, like, what was your reaction? Honestly, the sentencing was, it was so ridiculous. They gave him, gave him an option to apologize if he wanted to, to make a statement. Um, me and my sisters and my mom were already bawling our eyes out during the sentencing because we were just so nervous to see what they were going to charge him with or what was going to stick, how that was going to work. But during his... Um, speech he just talked about god and how he found god and how god forgave him and he's not sorry for what he did because he already has repented and all this crazy stuff which this man has never been to church a day in his life so i think that's you know speaks for itself but um yeah he had nothing to say about his apology they sentenced him 10 to life and the judge was like i hope you never get out wow so do you know so 10 to life seems like quite the range. Um, do you, I guess, how many years has he served so far? And do you know if it will be a life sentence, if it would be 10, if it's shorter than 10? Like, do you think he'll ever get out? Um, so he's about two years into his sentence right now. Uh, every 10 years, we will have to all go testify. I will specifically because the charges are mine, but my sisters and the victim from his childhood and the other victims by then, um, we all kind of agreed that if he does come up for parole, that we will be going to make sure he does not get out. Wow. Wow. That's that's so wild. That you're also still like have to relive this like, 10 years down the line or eight years now mm -hmm. essentially um, for the the rest of his life potentially i i'm i literally have nightmares still to this day that he gets out of prison um i have nightmares constantly that he calls me and he did call me actually a couple months ago he got a new charge added to him for making seven phone calls to me in a day from prison Jeez. Yeah. It was. Did, I'm assuming you guys didn't speak. No, absolutely not. I got seven calls back to back. I was like, what the heck? I got a voicemail and it was saying that was from a correctional facility and somebody was trying to contact me. Um, he actually had used another inmate's phone, like phone code number thing to try and call me. So. Jeez. It's, that's, yeah, it's haunt, haunting in a way. Like he is still. He's behind bars, but just that presence that's still there. And it seems like you're top of mind. But would is there anything you ever would want this, want to say to him? Or do you feel like the trial was where you said everything that you'll ever need to say, you know, to him and about him? Unfortunately, I have kind of come to the conclusion that he will never give me the closure that I need. Um, he is very weak and pathetic and he could never even come up with the thoughts in his head to organize a sentence to apologize about what he did he made his whole life about being a career serial pedophile he even had a tracker on my mom's phone to tell when she got home Jesus. and when she was leaving and we didn't find that out until way later on <sighs> wow 
That is so wild. Also, in your email, um, you had mentioned that your mother runs a nonprofit. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So she runs a nonprofit. It's called BraveHeartsProject.org. Um, it's fairly new, but we have it all set up and ready. We are trying to just get in contact with victims who really need some help, either seeing if they can proceed with criminal charges, you know, understand the laws around the statute of limitations, getting them resources for therapy, stuff along those lines to just try to help them out. That's incredible. And, you know, I 100% we will be as a show donating to that. Um, that's amazing to hear. And just, um, we'll, we'll do that, um, a little bit after this episode airs, just so if anyone listening, um, if they do want to donate, obviously it's bravehearts.org, but also if you don't know the Patreon that we have set, set up, if you want to support it, it's patreon.com slash OPL show. Um, but we take funds from that and we will give to different charities, make different donations. So this is one example of a charity that will absolutely be sending funds to, uh, from one of the Patreon months. So if you do want to become a patron, support the show, you'll also be supporting this because your monthly payment will go to that. So, um, just, yeah, for everyone listening. So we'll, we'll give them some time to possibly sign up so that we can collect some more money and, and make that donation. Um, but that, that is amazing to hear. And you said that your sister, um, has a podcast as well. Did she make that podcast specifically about her experiences? Yes. So um, also just, just so you guys know, it's braveheartsproject.org for that. Sorry, what is it? Braveheartsproject.org. Braveheartsproject.org. Okay. Yes, yes. And then, yes, so my sister did make this podcast um, as kind of like a venting situation for her to be able to get out her um, issues and her side of things. So that and, is going to be um, out, and she already has four episodes out. And what's that called? Sorry, I had to cough. Um, it's called Dear Me, You Survived. Dear Me, hmm. You Survived. Okay, wow. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Anchor. Amazing. And, yeah, I mean, for you personally, I mean, it's it's amazing – to just hear that and see, you know, the ways in which your family is choosing to move forward. Um, for you personally, I guess, where are you at now? And I guess, how do you even, like, how do you even begin your journey through this traumatic past, through the trial, through everything that you've had to go through that you're still going through to, you know, be the person that you are today and, and get to this point? Yeah, I, um, I've been super lucky, honestly. Um, I have an amazing husband who is very patient with me. Um, he's been patient with me through this whole entire thing. We've been together since the very beginning of this trial and everything happening. So very lucky with that. Um, my mom also has been a huge supporter in this. She has never given up on us. Um, that's been amazing. I've just been super lucky with um, my ability to get therapy and get help associated with my um, childhood sexual abuse trauma, my PTSD. Um, and then, like I said, I did have another child um, after my miscarriage, and she's almost two now, and she is my main reason and motivation to keep going and to keep spreading awareness because I just look at her and I pray every day that she never has to experience anything like that. Wow. That's, 
That is amazing. And we, you know, appreciate you coming on and talking to us. We know this is probably not the easiest thing to talk about and super admirable that you guys started a, uh, an organization to help other people, uh, other victims of crimes like this. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for yeah. everything. Thank you guys for having me. It's, it's insane. I've always wanted to be able to get my story out. So I really do appreciate it. Yeah, no, well, you, you did an amazing job and like, just honestly, it's, um, like Joe said, it's just amazing to hear, um, you know, and I hope you're giving yourself the credit to just the perseverance, just pushing through the trial. I mean, the toll that that probably takes is, is pretty unimaginable, but it seems like it was, you know, your consistent efforts, your family coming together, um, like we were talking about before, to just really make sure everything happened that needed to happen to make sure that justice was served. And it's uh, just, yeah, in incredible, you know, what, what you guys did to put him behind bars. Thank you. I really do appreciate that. And all I can do is just hope that I at least helped one person. And that's really all I can ask for. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, like we said in the beginning, trust us. Uh, I think we're seasoned enough at this show and, and knowing the listeners out there that um, this will definitely help way more than one person. So thank you again so much for, for sharing the story, for sharing the resources. And um, like we said, we'll definitely be donating to the organization as well. Okay, awesome. Thank you, guys. I really do appreciate that, too. That's going to help out a lot. No problem. Thank you so much for coming on. All right. You guys have a good day. All right. Have a good one. Bye. This uh, podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and it is a great company. Um, they connect you with um, licensed therapists. So if you were thinking about talking to a therapist, you can do that through BetterHelp. It is a great gateway to this world of therapy. I've been in it for over two years now. I think it's amazing. And uh, yeah, I think um, BetterHelp is great because you could start communicating with a therapist in just under 48 hours. They also make it very seamless to jump from therapist to therapist, you know, to find the right fit for you, which is very important. They have specific therapists that, uh, you know, maybe specialize in, in certain things. So if you're looking for a certain something, you can get exactly uh, the help that you need. It's uh, convenient, flexible. You can make your own schedule. Uh, also affordable, way more affordable than in-person therapy. Um, and on top of it being affordable, you can uh, also get 10% off your first month if you use our link at betterhelp.com slash OPL. That is betterhelp.com slash OPL for 10% off of your first month. So, uh, you know, highly recommend it. I hope that everyone, um, you know, does therapy. I think it's great for everyone. So yeah, betterhelp.com slash OPL. Get that 10% off and enjoy. Vessi makes awesome uh, shoes for the winter, okay? They are 100% waterproof, uh, not water-resistant, waterproof. Uh, they have an extra lining uh, for extra warmth in the cold, which is very important. Your extremities get very cold in the winter, but with these shoes, they will help you uh, keep them warm. Also, they slip on and off very easy uh, to get them on and off. Like I said, waterproof, warm. Uh, they're made from Dymatex. Uh, which is a super soft knit material that keeps your feet warm in the cold, but cool in the warmer months. Okay. So it doesn't feel like it's waterproof, but it is. So it's a very dynamic shoe uh, and it is amazing. And you guys should go get yourselves a pair. Uh, we have pairs now of these shoes and I can tell you firsthand, it's freezing in New York city, but my feet are staying warm 
with these shoes. And you can get them also uh, if you go to Vessi.com, spelled V-E-S-S-I.com slash O-P-L, for a pair of your own shoes, okay? So go check them out. Um, but yeah, you can use the promo code OPL for 15% off of your entire order as well. So go to Vessi.com, V-E-S-S-I.com slash O-P-L to get your pair today. Next up, we have Manscaped. And Manscaped is not only going to help you with your downstairs hair, but now your facial hair as well. They have a Beard Hedger Pro Kit um, that's going to help you make your beard not so weird. Okay, they have a... Uh, a cordless trimmer that has a rotary wheel that gives you 20 hair cutting lengths. Okay, that's a lot of different ones. Uh, and, uh, you know, just one guard. So you're not going to like, it's not going to hack at your face or anything like that. If you get bad ones, you could really end up looking horrible. Um, they have a titanium coated T-blade um, that's tough on hair, but smooth on your face, leading to a single stroke efficiency. Um, you know, they have beard shampoo and conditioner as well. Uh, the Pro Beard Kit also comes with three free gifts, uh, a beard brush, a comb, and scissors uh, to ensure your beard is ready to impress. Okay, so Manscaped, great company, has a lot of features, especially for men. And uh, their Beard Hedger Pro Kit uh, is out now. It's brand new. Um, so if you have a, a beard or your boyfriend or husband, whoever has a big beard, uh, you can uh, you know go to Manscaped and get it. And you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code OPL at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code OPL. Again, uh, you know, head on over to Manscaped. They have a bunch of products that you probably know about already. Big company. And now they have this out uh, for your beard. So go check them out, manscaped.com slash OPL. Yeah, that was a tough episode to kind of sit through. Um, fuck, man. So, what an evil man. Like, I, there was like, I don't know. Like, I was just so kind of blown away by that and just hearing about, ugh, I don't know. The only word that comes to mind is just like evil. Like, it's mm -hmm. just evil. Like, to do something like that, it's just like horrible, man. And I, I think that it's always amazing that, you know, we've, we've gotten these guests where something traumatic happens to them and they somehow spin it. You know, they created this organization to help other people. Like, I always think that's like super amazing. Like it's one thing to go through a traumatic event and just have to deal with that and like live your life with whatever after effects that causes, but then to turn it into a positive and be like, let's help people that probably went through the same thing is like, always amazing to me to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Just knowing from your experience where there's a lack of resources, where, you know, the biggest, biggest hang up might be to again, like go through this process as a victim to also have to live through all of that trauma, but go through just like the procedural steps of a trial and court. Like it was very interesting to hear that and helpful because I think that's an interesting perspective and experience that uh, we haven't really covered on the show. I know there's been some similar topics of abuse, unfortunately, uh, but you know, it's, it's good that this had a happy ending at least and, and justice was served for now it seems, but it, it is crazy. I think you're right. Evil's the word. And you know, it's just so heartbreaking in the beginning to hear her say from her perspective as an eight year old, like, of course you're going to think this is my father. He can do no wrong. My parent wouldn't hurt me. And that is so sad because a child doesn't know. And there's no, 
no blame that you can put on a child in that situation for not yeah. telling, for being confused, obviously. But just to hear that, it's, you know, the amount of just what it takes for her to just keep going through that terrible situation to then, you know, even just age enough to be like, okay, something's wrong here. But when you're, when it's happening to you and you're that young, how can you know? It's, it goes against everything you like are innately told about your parents, your protectors. And it's, it's so sad, you know, you, you don't get to choose who your parents are and it's, it's so terrible to hear. Not only that, but to feel like you have no one to talk to or you can't say anything is, that's a, like a debilitating thing to deal with as an adult, like as a child who's eight years old. Like, that is insanely fucked up. Mm -hmm. Like, every part of that is so fucked up. And I'm fucking glad this guy's in jail because I, I wouldn't be able to fucking deal with this episode if he wasn't in jail right now. But that would, um, <laughs> yeah. Anger levels would be off the charts. Um, but luckily, he is in jail right now. And, um, Luckily, it seems like she's doing well and, and her family is, um, you know, has taken a lot of steps, continues to. And, you know, it's really good that she was able to put out that story, put out, you know, the resources. And again, um, braveheartsproject.org will be donating. Um, it looks like they have a resource list here as well. Uh, definitely check that out. Really, really cool um, to be able to support something, you know, uh, that's kind of directly impacting a guest. We, we love that opportunity. Um, and again, we'll do all the funds from the month, um, to that project. So if you want to go to patreon.com slash OPL show, it's the $5 a month and that $5 will be going towards the lump sum that goes to them. Yeah. And, uh, for anyone out there that wants to be a guest on our show, don't hesitate to reach out to us. Uh, OPL podcast at gmail.com, uh, send us an email and, uh, we go through all of them and we'll, uh, see if it fits. Yeah, let's get you on the show. No, no topic is off limits. So, you know, if, if you're hesitant, if you think you might have a story to tell, just send an email. There's no harm in it. And that is all for this week. See you guys next time. <laughs>